I remember reading it. It it was uh, uh, was in my high school years, and I'd been challenged, I think, for the very first time to look at Scripture and read Scripture for myself. Uh, now, I'd read Scripture all my life, but almost always was in the context, hey, look this verse up in a Sunday school class and read it, or or in a in a, a youth group setting, take this verse and find it and and read it. But but I really had never opened up Scripture and read it for myself to let God speak to me through the words of Scripture. And, and so when I was in high school, I, I remember opening up the book of Philippians, and and I wasn't very far into the book when I came across this verse. And the reality is, it's almost as if this verse just jumped off the page at me. It. It was just all of a sudden there and, and like it was in bold print or something. And as I read it, I thought, wow, that is a cool verse. And, and the verse is, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter one. We're going to hang out there this morning and, and we'll look at several verses there, but we're going to hang out in Philippians chapter one. But the verse that just jumped out at me was the 21st verse. And there Paul says, as for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. And I remember reading that for the very first time and I thought, wow, that is a powerful verse. And I remember it might have been the very first verse in my Bible that I took an ink pen and I, I drew a line under, I underlined. So if you, if you are, are, are like that, if you like to highlight or underline in your Bibles, I would encourage you to do that with verse 21 because that is such a cool verse for me. To live is Christ, to die is gain. In fact, what we're going to do today, so if nothing else happens today, this, you're gonna get this. You're gonna memorize a verse of scripture today. So we're gonna memorize that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause for just a second for you to, if you have your Bibles open, you can look at it. I'll say it again so you can kind of put it there. As for me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So be thinking on that. Memorize that. Say it to yourself a couple times. I'll pause. Okay, you've got it now. So let's say that together. Remember, don't look at your Bibles. Don't cheat. Let's just quote it together. As for me, Perfect. That was not too bad, but some of you need to join in there. Look at that verse one more time. As for me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Let's do it one more time. As for me, what a powerful, fantastic verse. And I remember when that jumped off the page at me. And, and let me challenge you over the next weeks to be reading the book of Philippians. And I, I will make you a promise. If you read the book of Philippians, you will have that happen to you. Uh, whether it's that verse or another verse, you will have a verse just jump off the page at you like, wow, that is such a cool verse. And, and I remember that day that it jumped off and I underlined it. I thought, man, that is cool. And then, and then I thought, what does it mean? Well, that's a cool verse for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's, that's pretty, that's awesome, but yeah, but what does that mean? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians. You've already got it open. You should. Let's, let's back up a verse and then we'll go forward a few verses and look at the, the, the whole context of what's going on here. Verse 20, Paul starts off this way. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage as that, uh, so that now as always Christ will be exalted uh, in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live, uh, as for me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I, I desire to depart and be with Christ, for which is far better, but it is more necessary for me that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith. 
so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. We talked about this a little bit last week, but let me jump in and add just a couple more details about the background uh, of this book. Paul wrote the book to the church at, at Philippi, and as I mentioned last week, he had a very special relationship, and that relationship started, if you want to go back in the book of Acts and read chapter 16 of Acts, it will tell you that history. Uh, a vision appeared to, a man appeared to Paul in a vision and, and begged him to come over to Macedonia. So Paul obeyed that vision as if God were, were giving that to him, which he was, and he went over to Macedonia and ended up in Philippi. And when he ended up in Philippi, he first, his first convert was a lady named Lydia and her family, and he continued to convert other people. And then one day he saw a slave girl that was, was demon possessed. He cast the demon out. And because the, the slave owners lost their income, because of that, they had him thrown into prison. Paul and Silas were beaten severely, scripture says, and they were thrown in, in, into prison. And, and even while he was in prison, if you read that story in Acts chapter 16, he eventually ends up converting, uh, converting the Philippian jailer and all of his family. A couple of weeks ago in our Acts 242 group, we were talking and I brought up this verse. Or this thought that, that sometimes God calls us places. Sometimes God will lead us places. And even when we end up there, we might go through struggles. Even when we end up there, things may not work out the way that we thought they would. And that was certainly Paul's situation. He went to Philippi because God appeared to him. A man appeared to him and said, come over to, to Macedonia. So Paul was obeying God and he was where God wanted him to be. And now he finds himself in, in a prison. Paul, you, you wonder why Paul wasn't upset. You, you, you could understand that he would be, be with this attitude. God, you, you sent me here. You called me to go here. I, I'm where you asked me to be. I'm doing what you asked me to do. And, and now I find myself in prison. It's dirty. It's dark. It's damp. Uh, he's been beaten. He's hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's a terrible place to be. There's moans and groans. And, and in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it tells us what was going on. It says, at about midnight, Paul and Silas, what, they're in prison. It says, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were, and if you flipped over to Acts, you'll see what it actually says, but, but does it say they were crying? I could have understood that. Physically, they were broken and beaten. I could have seen them crying because they were beaten and imprisoned. But that's not what it says. They were whining about their situation and feeling sorry for themselves. I could see them sitting over in a corner like, why is this happening? God sent us here and now we're here. But no, that's not what it says. Were they doubting God's plan for their life? Man, I'm sure you wanted me to go there. But God, why would I be in prison if you sent me here? No, that's not what it says. Were, were they pleading with God to deliver them? God, get me out of this mess. No, that's not what it says. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. About midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God in, in possibly what could have been one of the most difficult safe situations they'd been in. They, they were as low as low could be, physically beaten, spiritually beaten down in the dark depths of a prison. And God had told them to go to Philippi 
and they were singing hymns to God. Can, can you imagine yourself? Can you envision yourself there? Now, now, now maybe not in prison, but, but maybe you've been in prison in a low place. Maybe you've what, you've done what God has asked you to do. You, you're, you're living according to His will. You're trying to do what He's asked you to do and be where He's asked you to be. And yet, you still find yourself in a dungeon. You find yourself in a dungeon of heartache or failure. You find yourself in a dungeon of disappointment and disillusionment and discouragement. Or you find yourself in a dungeon of uncertainty and fear. And there's no clear answer when you'll see the light of day again. No clear answer on when, when you'll be delivered from that dungeon. And can you envision yourself singing? Can you see yourself singing? You're there and, and the words of a song comes to your mind. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. With wisdom, glory, and love. I don't know if I got the words right or wrong. Our God is an awesome God. Can you sing that with me and get the words right? Our God is an awesome God. He reigns with wisdom, power, and love. Thanks for helping out there and get the right words. Can, can you see that? That's Paul. So the guy writing this letter, saying this powerful verse for me to live as Christ and die as gain, that's who Paul is. And he had a wonderful relationship with, with this church at Philippi. We looked at these verses last week. Let me just touch on them again. Uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is what Paul said about this church. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. That's that's who Paul was. This church had connected with Paul. They had supported him financially in his ministry. In fact, even while he was in prison, they had sent representatives there, and they had supported him financially. They would taken care of his needs. There was a love relationship between Paul uh, and the church of Philippi, and the church of Philippi and, and Paul, uh, because Paul found himself in prison again. In Acts chapter 21, Paul returned to Jerusalem, found himself thrown into prison. A little bit later, he appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen. He had that right to have his case tried in Rome in front of Caesar. And, and so we find him then uh, in Acts chapter 25, we find him in a Roman prison. And he's writing this book to the church at Philippi. And there's this cool verse. But what does it mean? Let, let's look at two simple things here this morning. What's Paul trying to to do here, and what does he want it to mean to us? What's he trying to get us to understand? Here's the first thing I, I think. He, he's trying to convince himself. When, when, he re, when we read verses 20 and 21, I, I think Paul's trying to convince himself. Last Wednesday morning was the See You at the Pole event at the high school, and and uh, while things were getting organized and ready to go, I was standing at the out in the street behind Lori Simpson's car, and, and uh uh, Derek uh, Jasper was there, and, and Lori just made a comment that she had come to the church uh, either uh, Tuesday night or Wednesday morning early and came in the back door of the basement. And she said, you know, when you walk in the back door of the basement, some of you have done this, you walk in the back door, you can't turn a light on until you get to the kitchen. That's the first light. And and as you walk in, you start to, you walk from light into darkness. And she said, I was walking into the church, heading towards the kitchen, and I got scared. <laughs> 
And, and so she said her pace quickened and she's trying to tell herself there's nothing there, there's nothing there. But haven't we all done that? Derek's, I love Derek's response. There's nothing to be scared of in church. <laughs> Except Sunday morning when I'm up here, but you know, the, there's nothing to be scared of. But, but, but don't we do that? I mean, I've done that before when you, you walk into a dark place or especially as a kid, I remember many times leaving a friend's house after dark and heading home and, and after you're just whistling on and things going great and then suddenly out of the back, somewhere just in the back of your mind, something pops in your head. What if? What if there, what, what if there's a monster? What if there's a boogeyman or, or you see a bush and well that, that, that could be, that could be Sasquatch. That's Bigfoot right over there. You saw him move or, or it, it could be an axe murder or a, an escaped convict. I don't know which one of those Lori was worried about as he was walking in, but you've been there before that fear just kind of creeps in and starts to get you. Well, Paul, Paul here was facing a, facing a, a fear, and maybe maybe he's trying to convince himself. He's trying to convince himself that he can. Paul's trying to convince himself that I can. Uh, and, and really, look at verse 20. He, he says there, I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, and I will be exalt, or Christ will be exalted in my body. Paul's saying, I hope that I can stand up, I hope that I can be courageous. I hope that I can exalt God. See, verse 20 really is a mixture of Paul trying, I think Paul trying to convince himself, trying to convince himself that he can, trying to convince himself that there's nothing to fear, there's nothing to worry about, as well as somewhat of a statement of faith. He said, I eagerly expect. So he was hoping and expecting that he would stand up under the pressure, but but there was this lurking fear that was pursuing Paul. And, and in this Roman prison, prison, he was asking, can I? See, any day now, he was going to be summoned to the court of Caesar. And Caesar would hold in his hands the power to release Paul or the power to take his life off with his head or dipping him some oil and putting him on a stake and burning him or throwing him into a coliseum with lions. Paul was facing the fear, but his fear wasn't so much. It wasn't so much about the physical body. His fear was, will I stand the spiritual test? See, Paul was probably the, the most well-known Christian of the era. Everyone throughout Jerusalem and Judea uh, and the whole Roman Empire knew who Paul was. And the fear that was lurking behind him is, will I stand up under this pressure? Some of us have been there before. Some of us maybe are there now. Maybe you've been in that place where the fear that drives you is, will I stand up? Will my witness stand the test? Will I, will I show the Christ that I love or will I, will I mess up? Will I let Christ down? Will I, will I shame him? Will I not exalt him? Maybe, maybe you've been there before. I, I certainly have. And as, as I've told my story before, my moral failure, I, I think one of the things that caused me the greatest heartache was the realization that I had let people down, that my witness had had destroyed the faith that people had in Christ because I'd messed up. And and I think that's where Paul is. I guess where Paul is, he's trying to convince himself that he can. And then we come to verse 21. And verse 21 is, is him realizing that he can do it. Verse 21 is, I am. He's trying to convince himself that he can, but 
Verse 21 is him battling through that fear and saying, I am. In a moment of extreme clarity, he's able to look at his future, and, and even though he's pursued by fear, he sees only two options that are before him, and and he realizes and trusts that he can. He, his two options are simply this. I, I will live. For me to live is Christ, or I will will die. For me to die is gain, and, and even that is good. Paul is facing his fear in verse 21. And he's saying, I am a conqueror. I am a child of God. I am an ambassador for Jesus. I am bought with the price. I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I am powered by the Holy Spirit. So when Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, what he's really saying is, I can because I am. I am Jesus. So, so Paul's trying to convince himself, and, and, and he gets to that place. In just one verse, in one quick thought, boy, this is all before me. This fear is there, but man, I can live for Christ, and, and, and to die is even better than that. But what does that mean for us? What, what is that verse? It's a cool verse, but how do I apply it to my myself? And, and I think what we see is Paul's trying to convey to us two things. He's trying to convey to us an approach. What if we, like Paul, what if we, like Paul, could melt away all the other stuff that's around us? What if we could melt down everything to two simple thoughts, two simple approaches, two simple choices? And it's a, it's the choices that Paul talks about. He says, I will live. What if my focus, my passion, my time, my effort, what, what if all of that was based on trying to live for Christ? The, the reason this verse is so hard, even though it's such a great verse, the reason it's so hard to understand, the reason I've battled with this verse for years since I was a teenager when I first discovered it, is because it's hard. It's hard. What, what if I live? Living is serving Jesus. It's being called to a life of surrender. See, we, we face our fear by realizing we should serve Jesus. And then he goes on the second, second option. I'll either live or I will die. Again, again, it's a struggle. If I die, really there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to dread. It's nothing to put off because Paul says, when I die, it's gain. Now, now I'm not suggesting that we hasten that moment. I don't, I don't have Dixie cups full of Kool-Aid in the back of the church. There is communion back there, but Lori, or no, uh, Jill fixed that and it's all good to go. Because Paul actually uh, comes to a, a realization. Look with me in verses uh, verses 22 and following. It says, am I to go on living in the body? This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. He really is debating, do I want to stay alive? Am I welcoming death that might be at my door? He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I know that I will keep on living because that means I get to serve Christ. He's trying to convey to us a simple thought, a simple approach. Realize this. Life really is about two things. Living and dying. Living means we live for Jesus. And dying is gain. Are you here this morning? And can you with Paul, can you with Paul say for me, to die is gain. Or is that a thought that you don't want to even entertain or, 
or even let sink into your consciousness to die. No, I don't want to, I don't want to go there. And this morning, if you can't with assuredly say, man, I know when that time comes, I'm not hastening it. I'm looking, looking to have it come soon. But, but when that happens, that will be gained because I'll be with Christ. If you can't say that this morning, then, then I'm, I'm going to ask you a simple thing. Will you, will you get to a place that you can? Will you accept Jesus as your Savior? Will let Him take away all the worries and cares and frustrations and all the fears that you face in life so that you know no matter what happens, no matter what you face, life or death, that everything is to your gain. So Paul tries to convey a, an approach and he tries to convey an attitude. The attitude is, is I, I can and I am. The attitude he's trying to get us to understand is that we can face, that we can face our fear. Do you realize in the church this morning, for some of you, this may seem foreign, but in our church here today, there are people that are facing fear. Now, now, now they come from a whole bunch of different sources. They come from, from a lot of different angles and from a lot of different places in our life. But, but I think we can oftentimes boil them down to just a couple simple things. We have a fear, and this is the fear. Am I good enough? We go through life, and, and that, that's kind of just a cloud hanging over. It's a fear that we're facing each and every day. Am I Am I good enough? You don't realize it, but there's some, some ladies sitting in church today, and they're glancing over to other people in the church. So some of the ladies are looking at some of the other ladies in the church, and they're comparing themselves to them like, man, I don't have my life together like that lady. Man, that, that lady is cool. She knows scripture, and, and she's so, so powerful in her testimony and her witness. And, and there's some people here today, some ladies here today that say, you know what? When I look at them, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. There's, there's some guys sitting out there today. You, you may not notice it, may not realize. It. There's some guys and they're glancing at some other men in the church and they're saying, man, I wish I could be like that guy. Man, they, they get up and they, they, they lead a, a, a devotion or they get up and lead a song or, or they teach a Sunday school class. And man, they, they just have it together. I wish, I wish I could be like them, but man, when I, when I compare myself to them, I'm just not good enough. Or maybe you kind of, Draw your whole family in there and you, you, you point over to a family. Man, I wish my family was like that family. Their kids are so well behaved. They come into church and they've got smiles on and they're carrying their Bibles and, and, uh, you know, they're just skipping in. You know, they know all the songs and they're, they're the favorites in Sunday school because they know all the Bible answers. And man, I wish my family could be like that because my family's a mess. You know, my, my wife and I, we fight and the kids are disrespectful at times and, Man, it just seems like, so, like, man, I wish I could be like that family. But I'm just not good enough. Or maybe in a little bit more generic way, we, we look at God and we look at Jesus. We see Jesus and we say, man, I, I can't even get close. Compared to Jesus, and rightly so, okay? Man, compared to Jesus, I'm not good enough. I'm just not good enough. Can I? Can I let you in on a secret? You're going to write, you, if that's you in any way today, you're going to write, want to write this down. Don't necessarily do it now because then someone's going to know, hey, they don't think they're good enough and you don't want that happening to you. You don't want that extra pressure. So write it down later. I guarantee you're going to remember what I'd say. So you'll be able to remember to write it down. So let me speak some, some words of truth to you that will change your way of thinking. So, so if you're here today struggling, am I good enough? Let me tell you this truth. Got it? Get ready to write it down later. You aren't. You aren't good enough. But can I let you in on a secret? 
That lady you're comparing yourself to, she isn't good enough either. That guy you think has it all together, he's not good enough. And that family that you think is the perfect Christian, godly family, they're not good enough. Just glance around here this morning at, at the people in the pews in front, beside, behind you. Not a single one of us is good enough. Compared to the mercy and love and, and perfection of Christ, we're, we're none of us good enough. But thank God Jesus was. And so this morning, if that fear is, is hanging over your, your existence, that, that fear of, I'm not good enough and I come to church and I try to live my life and, and really all the stuff that's, that's dumping on me, all the fear that's holding me back is, it's kind of related to that. Am I good enough? And you're like, gosh, I'm not. Well, 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 there's good news. He is. Can, can you rebuke that fear? Can you rebuke that fear and stand up? I, I think in part, and Paul says for me to live as Christ, to die as gain is a stamp of, yeah, you're not good enough, but he is. Now live for Him. And maybe a, another fear that you're facing, and it's kind of a first cousin, it's related to that, to, to that first one is, am, am I saved? It's, they, they really kind of flow together, but, but for some of you here this morning that have struggled with, I'm not good enough, there's, there's a few more people that jump on the bandwagon with this. Am I really saved? Now, now I know that I've, I've confessed my faith, and I know I, 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 I uh, I believe and I know I was baptized and I know I've done everything that Scripture talks about and I've asked Jesus to be a part of my life and to save me. I, but there's still this cloud of fear that just hangs over me. Am, am I really saved? Man, we just, we just battle with that. What, what if today was the day that Jesus come, comes back? Will I go to heaven? Will I not? And that fear is, is there. We, we know the verses. We know Ephesians 2, 8 says we're saved by grace. And John 3, 16, God loved the world. And in Colossians 3, 12, we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Uh, and yet that fear still pursues us and we wonder if we're saved. But, but know what Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul in verse, uh, chapter 3, 20 says our citizenship is in heaven. Hey, it doesn't belong to this world. Paul gives a stamp of approval, stamp of, hey, you can rest in a shirt. Your citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. And in 1 John 5, 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe that you may, uh, uh, in the name of the Son of Jesus, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Paul, Paul faced his fear. What if I'm not able to stand up? But he came out of that with, for me to live as Christ. To die is gain. What fear are you facing this morning? Is it a fear of I'm not good enough? A fear I don't know if I'm saved? Or maybe it's, maybe it's some other fear that really is probably related back to those two things. I want you to know this morning that you can say with Paul to live as Christ, to die is gain. His name was Kevin. Kevin was about eight or nine years old when he was placed in foster care. His mother really couldn't take care of him and and it was an unhealthy situation, an unhealthy place for him to be. And, and so he found himself for the very first time living in someone else's home. And, and because of the way the system worked for him, he, he bounced around one home to another and then eventually back to mom as they tried to work it out. And she tried to work on her, her walk and, and, uh, and then found himself once again back in foster care. And then that day came when the, the, the workers told him, Hey, you're, you're not going home. 
uh, we're, we're taking rights away from your mom. You're, this is where you're going to be. And, and he finally ended up in a home. The Millers uh, had invited him to be a part of his home. And, and for the first time, he felt like he belonged. And, and he was there just a couple months when, when one day he called the, the mother of the house. He called her mom. And she didn't recoil. She didn't correct him. She just smiled. And, and so later he called the dad, dad. And the dad had a big grin on his face. And, face. And, and, and then just about six, eight months later, the, uh, the social worker came to him again and said, Hey, the, the Millers have a question for you. They want to, they want to know if you want to be a part of their family. They want to know if you'd be willing to be adopted by them. He wasn't 100% sure what that meant, but he thought it was something good. So he said, yeah, that'd be great. And they talked about it. The day came, he stood in the courtroom and a lot of stuff was happening. He had no idea what it meant, but, but finally when it was all over, the judge said, your name now is Kevin Miller. And he knew that was good. But he said it was about six months later when the cloud appeared. He didn't know where it came from. Nothing really had happened. It just kind of appeared on the horizon. A cloud of fear. That that cloud of, well, what if? See, he could could hear again. He hadn't heard this in a long time, but he could hear again the words of his mom echoing in his ears. You're not good enough, and you're you're worthless, and you'll never amount to anything. And and I wish you'd never been born. That that fear just kind of grew and grew and grew until it was enveloping him. And Kevin said he went to bed one night as his parents came in to tuck him into bed and that was weighing on him heavily and he said, I, I sat there and obviously something was wrong and they, they looked at me and said, Kevin, what's going on? And he said, nothing, nothing, I'm fine. And, and they persisted and finally he he said, he looked at them, he said, you know, I, I know you adopted me, I'm your son, but what if? What, what if I'm not good enough in school? And they said, Kevin, we're still going to love you. He said, well, what, what if I get in trouble at school? You get a call from the principal and I've, I've acted up. They said, oh, Kevin, we're, we're going to love you. And then he said, well, well, what if you get another foster kid? And, and, and you, you like that child better than me. What, what happens then? And they said, Kevin, we're going to love you. And Kevin Miller says, I'll never forget the next words that his dad spoke to him that changed his outlook forever and cast away the fear that was hovering over him. He said his dad looked at him and said, Kevin, look at me, look at your mom. We love you. You're our son. Nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. Paul tried to convince himself and did. Man, what if? What if I mess up? What if I make a mistake? But he cast that fear aside and said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If you're here this morning and fear is trying to win the battle over your life, say with Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Father, we thank you in the power of Scripture that it can change our hearts, our thoughts, our way of thinking and give us hope. Father, with the ones here today, Father, with all of us that struggle with fear from time to time, Give us encouragement. Give us victory. Let that fear go away. Father, don't give the fear any power in our life, but give us reassurance in you. In Jesus' name.